Amen. You guys ready? I like a little interaction. So if you get inspired, give it a hoop and a holler. Pretend like you're from Kentucky. There we go. Let's go. Let's go. Today, um, you know, we've been going through a series on spiritual warfare. And then last week, we had a gentleman, Joshua Mills, a guest speaker, come in. And um, I, for one, was... I mean, the only word that's coming to mind is wrecked. I was, I was wrecked. Just un, under the glory of God, just moving powerfully within me. And my hope is that, that the Lord is continuing to deposit, to impart what he wants to do in this place of his glory. It's his manifest presence. It's all that, that God is and, he, and what he has and we want to experience him and encounter him. And I love what Joshua was saying, that more can happen in the glory than, than any day outside, than years of therapy, than years of, of trying to get healing in the natural. Anything is possible when God's presence is moving among his people. And so it's time for us to raise our expectations. It's time for us to be those that, that allow the Spirit to stir up a hunger for His presence. And I want this to be a house of glory. I want Evergreen to be a house of glory where people can walk in off the street, no matter what they're going through, and they can, they can experience the living God in His presence. And I want our houses, our homes to be rich with God's love, rich with hospitality, rich with good food. That's very important. By the way, happy Jewish New Year. Where are the apples and honey? Someone failed me. No. And I want us to have houses of God's glory. Can we be kingdom marriages of God's glory? How about that? Are you seeking after someone that wants to partner with you to have a house of God's glory? Should I just preach on that today? I don't know. Some kingdom partnerships? That's right. Some of you guys need a fresh infusion of hope. Some of you have word cursed yourself by saying, there's no one in L.A. for me. Why don't we raise our hope levels and say, thank you, God, that you have someone in this city for me. What if you're, what if you're closing the eyes of your own heart because of your belief system and the word curse that you're speaking over yourself? Oh, there's no one out here. I have to lower my standards. God is sending kingdom people to this land who will partner with you to be that much of a greater fire in your household. I also want to say that some of you out of um, hope deferred have made your heart sick. And I believe the Lord is healing in the house those hearts that have been made sick from disappointment. And we have a God that repays the days that the locust has eaten. And this is a word for the house. If you have been going through years where it feels like your fields have been riddled with locusts and eaten, and you're like, where's the fruit? Where's the vegetation? The Lord says, I will repay the days that the locust has eaten. And I see right now in the spirit that the Lord is just with his right hand, with his authority, he's turning back time. He's turning back time. And I hear him say, it's time for trauma to be released from your life so that you can move on. It's time right now for you to not think about your age, to not think about what you could have and should have done. This is the God that holds our worlds in his hand. And so it's time to start to partner with appointment rather than disappointment. It's time for kings and queens to arise and shine together. It's not time for us to back down or to dole down or to water down our relationships. This is not at all what I was planning to preach on. Do you guys know what equally yoked means? Do you know what equally yoked means? In scripture, in scripture they would yoke together, they would connect together like two oxen. 
and they would move together because there has to be a balance for the power. There has to be a balance to pull what God wants to do. There has to be a balance to bring the kingdom of God into this world. And some of you are out there, it's okay, I'll pull her up. It's okay, I'll pull him up. I'm sorry, you can't look at your relationship prophetically in that way. Don't prophesy what they can be. Look at who they are in Christ. Are they measuring up to the standard of the kingdom or not? No more watered-down relationships. I want to also address purity in the house today. Talk about watered down. We have lowered the standards of purity in our lives. Based off of what? Oh, it's just so easy to access things today. Oh, it's just so easy to sin today. The Lord knows how hard it is. And we have made grace a sloppy grace. This was never meant to be a kingdom of priests who were operating in a sloppy grace. We are meant to live above reproach. We are meant to be kings, queens, and priests who operate with the spirit of holiness in our lives. And some of you guys, I'm not speaking with judgment to you, but we are called to judge one another in Christ. There is a holy judgment. When we know we are for one another, we can, we can call each other higher. And it is a season where we need to be a people of radical purity and holiness. And how are we going to get there? How are we going to be a people of holiness and purity? It starts and ends by humbling yourself. To be a man or a woman on your knees before him. God, I'm sorry I've compromised. God, I'm sorry I've given in. This is not who I was called to be. I've been operating outside of my true identity. I've been operating with a worldly system. I've been saying, yeah, but I'm, I'm 50 years old. I'm 60 years old. Might as well give in. We have, we have changed a standard outside the plumb line of the kingdom to what fits our needs and our wants. And it's a false satisfaction. You might be, you might be pleased for a moment you know what it reminds me of? Speak it out in the back. All creation groans. That bark was a hallelujah. Yeah. Does someone know what Jacob's brother's name is? Esau. A hairy, hairy man. Okay? Jacob and Esau were born as twins. But how many of you know that in Scripture, you would give the blessing to the firstborn? Esau was the one that was supposed to receive the blessing. But his father was blind and, and almost dying, right? So he, he could hardly tell what was going on. And while he was supposed to be receiving the blessing... Jacob comes in and gets the blessing because Esau had traded the blessing for some soup. He was hungry one day and he made an agreement with his brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have the blessing because I'm hungry. Flippantly. And the Lord's brought this back to mind time and time again that some of us have traded our inheritance for a quick meal. For some quick satisfaction. Some of you has, have sacrificed the calling and blessing of your life because you want to give in for a sexual meal. And it's time for us to repent. It's time for us to get on our knees and say, God, what have I been doing? I'm your son. You have called me for the promised land. Why am I out here in the wilderness for 40 years going in circles? It's time for you, by the power of the Spirit, to cross the Jordan River by the Spirit into your land of promise. Can we stand up for a moment? 
Go ahead and put your hand on your heart. I just, I just even right now bring forth before you, God, a corporate repentance on behalf of individuals in this body and individuals in this city that have given into the atmospheres and the poles of man, that have, that have lived with any kind of compromise, that have watered down our faith for a quick meal. And we right now, God, repent for ourselves for our body, and we even repent for this land where we have given in to any kind of compromise and sinful patterns and impurity and taken things in our own strength and thought somewhere along the the way, I'm more compassionate than God. I'm just going to do this. I'm tired of waiting. I thank you, God, that you are restoring innocence right now. You are restoring innocence in the house, in our hearts. That all it takes is a quick glance to you and say, I'm coming back, God. I'm coming back to a place of holiness. And I pray right now, we need that power of the Holy Spirit. I pray right now together with the power of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus that those cycles and those patterns and those, those um, giving in to temptation and the areas where we have been an impure people and the areas where we have lowered the bar and lowered the standard, right now we give it to you at the foot of the cross, Jesus. We give it to you. And we speak the power of the Holy Spirit activated in our lives to live at the standard that we were born for. That we are truly new in you that we do have power by the Holy Spirit to conquer sin. And I speak that, that victory of the Spirit to be activated today, even right now. That the, the cycles in lives would be broken in Jesus' name, washed by the blood. Thank you, God. Thank you that this isn't just about performance. This is about, this is about realigning to the family of God that we were born for. This is about not grieving the heart of a father and a son and a spirit. This is about not quenching your ways and purposes in our lives. And so we speak right now, let the river flow through our lives again. Where we have damned it up at all, God. Let the river come in our lives again, Lord. This is all for you. This is all for you. All of this life is for you, God. All of this life is for you. Our marriages we give to you. Our dating we give to you. Our purity we give to you. And we thank you, God, for a fresh, fresh, clean slate kind of move of the Spirit, even today. And the Lord says the past is in the past. Today is a new day. His mercies are new today. Let this be a marker in the ground kind of day where we walk forward into the land of promise and leave behind the wilderness and leave behind slavery and destruction moving forward in the name of Jesus. Someone say amen. 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 All right, you can take a seat. That's our sermon for today. You know, what I wanted to preach on today is one of my favorite messages or favorite topics. I'm preaching on experiencing the heart of the Father. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's a mistake that we kind of went down that, that somewhat of a rabbit trail because this is what it's all about. It's about experiencing the heart of the Father. And when we know the heart of the Father, that's where transformation comes. That's where that willingness comes because we're living in relationship and we want to walk as one that is redeemed, restored, and empowered as sons and daughters. The Holy Spirit's working in us every single day, time and time again. The Holy Spirit with us is renewing our minds in truth. I love scripture that says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. This is, this is the Lord that moves in our life that truly, freely entirely sets us free. And we can know the truth 
And we can live in the truth of our identity from the revelation of who God is and who we are in him. And when that rich and deep and consistent work of the spirit is illuminated in us and through us, our relationship with God becomes less and less about what we can get from him. We move away from treating God as a vending machine. We move away from church being a a shopping destination. We move away what's in it for me. And we turn our posture as a son or a daughter in the house and say, what are we doing together, Father? How can we bless those around us? How can I make a difference in the world around us? It's less about what we can get and our obsession becomes more and more about being with him. It changes from, let me get out my checklist. Let me get out all the things that I need taken care of. And pretty soon as you come to know his love, it's like, oh, I just love being in your presence, God. I just love the experience of your glory. It's the experience of the honey of his presence, as scripture says, drinking of the wine of his love. Song of Solomon talks about the wine cellar of God's love. There is more than enough to drink deeply of. It far outweighs any appeal of any kind of lover the world has to offer. So the problem is that so many have trouble relating to God in their relational intimacy. Either they're stuck in religious duty, something that's dry, something that's performance, going through the motions, or they seem to disqualify or separate themselves from God based off of their chosen behavior and their areas of guilt and shame that they continue to hold on to. But in Luke chapter 11, Jesus had been with the disciples for a good amount of time. They'd seen him um, perform extraordinary miracles. Thousands of individuals had been miraculously healed by the multiplication of food. They had seen healing after healing. They had seen a woman with an issue of blood touch the hem of his garment and power leave Jesus's body and she's instantly healed. They had seen the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. There were these these megaphone moments of that the kingdom of God was here. And it was in the person of Jesus Christ. They had seen an example of one that had lived in perfect intimacy with the Father. One that was listening to the voice of God and only did what he heard his Father say and only do what he heard his Father do. And they looked upon this man and it would have been revolutionary to them because they had looked at the prophets, they had looked about, like, we've, we've heard about this, this father, the father of Israel, the father of his people, but it was this kind of impersonal kind of relationship. But here we have the example of Jesus walking the face of the earth, living in a holy, perfect relationship with the father. And they were marveling at the intimacy that Jesus had with the father. Not only that, but Jesus came to reveal the Father. So any kind of question mark you have about the goodness of God, oh man, I struggle with some of these wars that are taking place in the Old Testament. I'm struggling with these moments that are happening that, is God really good? What is he like? He seems a little scary to me. He seems a little stiff. Any question that you have about the goodness and kindness of God, we can find in the person of Jesus. Because one of the reasons that he came was to reveal the Father. Jesus was the face of the Father walking earth. So any question that you have, align it to the person of Jesus. So here in Luke 11, Jesus had been with the disciples for some time. And they, they, they saw Jesus go off and have a private prayer time. And he, he came back and they said, Jesus, whatever you're doing, we want to learn how to pray. Will you show us how to pray like John the Baptist taught his followers how to pray? They saw that it was so different from the way that he was engaging with prayer that they were used to. And it was a communing with the Father. What follows is perhaps the most famous prayer in all of Christianity. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. It's known as Our Father. Many of us have memorized this prayer. It's repeated in thousands of churches around the world for thousands of years. But isn't it interesting that when he was asked, teach us how to pray, 
He didn't say, that's great, let's schedule a seminar this weekend. Let's go through the five points of prayer. Let's talk about petitioning prayer. Let's talk about Thanksgiving. He could have done that at a later time. I think it's good to do that at a later time. But what he chose to do was to model it. He said, let me show you how to pray. And here we have in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. Matthew 6, there's two different accounts. Matthew 6, he actually begins before he shows them how to pray with a little bit of of a directional pull. And he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. I know none of you out there have ever seen someone pray that's a hypocrite. (laughs) Never, ever. I mean, a lot of us are still working through church hurt. A lot of us are still working through the hypocrites that we've seen operating in faith. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. They're doing it as a performance. Look how holy I am. Look how righteous, look how well-spoken I am. Look at how marvelous of a faithful person I am. He's like, hey, cut that out. Don't be like the hypocrites. Truly, I tell you, they've received their full reward already. But when you pray, here's the commissioning. Go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. It doesn't mean that the reward is being on a stage or a platform or having so many followers. That's not what the reward is. The reward is a kingdom kind of reward. And if he does put you in front of people, that's just a bonus. But the reward is the father himself. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Anyone ever heard a prayer? Father God, we thank you, Father God. Today, Father God, like what? Little babble, babble. What are we doing? We're filling empty time. We're trying to make something. I don't know what we're doing. But he's like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to Babylon. You don't need to do that. They think they're heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. We do not need to be a begging people. We are not meant to be, God, you've got to come through. There's moments, that's okay. If that's all you got better than nothing. But the point is, he's calling us to something different. He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows. Come to him as an innocent child. You don't have to have all the babbly babbly words or the fancy fancy words. Come to him. Speak to him. Have a relationship with him. And here in Luke 11, he begins the prayer. And this would have been revolutionary to them. He said to them, when you pray, say this, Abba, Father. They probably would have looked up at each other. Did he just say Abba? Like, Daddy? Is he, is he talking to the great God, the God that met Moses on Sinai? And he says, Daddy? <laughs> okay, continue, Jesus. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Do you hear the dependency, the simplicity? I don't need to worry about five, 10, 20 years from now. Thank you, God, that you're providing today. Forgive us our sins. It's this, it's this, this daily kind of checking in by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there, is there anything that you're wanting to, to let me know I need to ask forgiveness for? Is that alignment. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, both Matthew and Luke do not have what so many people think, which is the, the doxology, which is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That was actually added at a later time um, in, in books of common prayer. And it was kind of added into the Lord's prayer, which... I love that ending. It's just not found in this scripture. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus came for many purposes, but one great purpose was the unveiling of the new covenant of intimacy with the Father. 
And that was the new invitation for every single soul. The way that he modeled relationship with the father would have been inconceivable before this time. Okay, Jesus, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who moves in awe and power and led our nation for thousands of years. And you're supposed to, we're supposed to come to him as these little children. A simple term of endearment of a child to their dad. The revelation that Jesus is shifting his followers into is this. For anyone who might believe and receive Jesus as Lord and follow him, the father is not just Jesus' father. He's not just the father of the nation of Israel. He is your intimate, unconditionally loving, gracious, faithful, kind, and truly good father. Let's now look at John 20. In John chapter 20, setting the scene here, Jesus had been crucified, he had been buried. And this is the moment, Sunday morning, when his followers came to look and see what was taking place. And so here we have Mary Magdalene. First of all, I love that the Lord chose a woman to be the first messenger of the gospel. Ladies, someone say amen. Not only that, but Mary Magdalene, who shares the same name as Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, known for her purity, being a virgin. Now we have Mary Magdalene, who is the first to see the empty tomb, because the Lord is pointing out that this is a new covenant kind of reality. A woman who had been demonized, that probably was prostituted, someone that was living in all kinds of sin, met the power of redemption, and she is the first messenger of the gospel. So John 20, verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb. She was crying. She was weeping. They didn't understand what was going on. She wept. She bent over to look in the tomb because it was empty. Did they take Jesus' body? Did they move it elsewhere? This is where he was buried. We were going to spend our time mourning here. But she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. I love this imagery because you can't help but think about where Jesus or where God's presence dwelt throughout the nation of Israel. In the tabernacle or in the temple, he dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. And there were two cherubim facing each other, and the mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God rested. And here, an empty tomb where two angels face each other, one at the top, one at the bottom, showing the mercy seat of Jesus had fulfilled. The presence of God was now loosed into all the earth. Verse 13, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Now, either, either she had a lot of tears in her eyes, <laughs> couldn't tell it was Jesus, either that or there was some sort of spiritual reality where she was not able to see that it was Jesus. We see the road to Emmaus later where his disciples did not realize it was Jesus until he was revealed as such. So it could have been mysterious like that, Regardless, she did not realize that it was Jesus standing there. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Lord, we answer your call today. <laughs> I'm just using the sound effects for my benefit, really. Okay. All sound effects miscellaneous are all prophetic. <laughs> Every single one. All right. Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that Jesus was the gardener because this was the garden tomb. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, she's like, if, if you took his body some, some way, tell me where you've put him. I will come get him. And then Jesus spoke to her. The first recognition of who the risen savior was by calling her name, Mary. She turned around cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, 
to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them what she had, uh, she told them that, that he had said these things to her. Do you see that Jesus is addressing her with a sense of triumph and eternal hope? He's just come back to life. He, he appears as a gardener to her at first. I think that is no mistake. He is, he is the gardener of our souls. But what stand, stands out to us is, is what is the first thing he tells her? Shouldn't we pay attention to that? He says, I want you to go and tell the people, bring the good news of the gospel. My father is now your father. My God is now your God. He's like, you might not be fully getting this yet, but we have made a way for you to actually be born into a family so that you can call God your very own father. This is one of perhaps one of the greatest parts of the gospel message because by the Spirit, we can, we can cry out within us by the Holy Spirit's unction, Abba, Father, because the spirit of adoption is activated in our lives. There is something supernatural that comes alive in you when you can say, Abba, Father, you are my God and you are my Father. I have been adopted into a family. This is a relational kind of love. Something switches in you. I think the greatest miracle of all time is the salvation experience that takes place in souls around the world. And it's that move of the Spirit of God that not only brings a conviction and a saving, but it brings a cry of adoption. It's the move of the presence of God that brings that sealing and that stirring within us. In my life, I know that the richness of intimacy with God has changed everything. You know, I had had some really powerful encounters with the Lord at a young age. I faithfully knew the Lord. I would spend time in the word. I hungered after him to a degree. But it was a season of intimacy with him that took me into a place where that fueled me into living as one that wanted, wanted to give my everything to him. I wanted to spend my days at his feet and serving from his feet to the world around me. I wanted to be one that would go wherever he called me. He says, I'll go to the bush of Papua New Guinea if you want me to. Literal prayer. Thought I was going to do that. I was ready for the yellow plane and everything. And the Lord's like, a different kind of wild bush. I'll land you in Los Angeles. So I get all you wild ones. And I'm very happy about it. It's good. But I said, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. My heart is exploding. I have got to give to the one that loved me first. And this is the movement of intimacy that takes place through his word, through knowing his still small voice, through experiencing him. This is not just about emotionalism. You know, I was, in, I was talking to someone the other day about emotionalism. And in, in Bible school, they were like, you know, all the emotions, you know, people aren't really hearing the Lord. They're not really... They're just getting caught up in all the emotions. I'm like, who's the one that created emotion? All throughout scripture, the Lord is moving in emotion. He absolutely is moving in our emotions. He's the spirit of God. It's the language of heaven. And so we try to put him in these boxes, don't we? Hopefully some of you are being liberated right now with that. (laughs) But I started to learn what it looked like to be a child And what do children do? They look with awe and wonder. Children get outside the box. They they want to play around. They want to to see how this whole thing works and operates. They're wide-eyed. And so I remember um, one day I was with friends. I think I was 24 years old at the time. And we were, uh, we were worshiping the Lord. And my friend invited her sister from Florida. And it was just maybe six of us in an apartment. And we were just worshiping and enjoying God's presence together. And the weighty presence of God came upon us so that we could no longer stand. And we were laying on the nice carpeted floor in the apartment. And at some point... I opened my eyes and there was a misty cloud in the air. And you know, you did a few double, triple blinks and you're like, it's not just my contacts, right? 
No, there was, you know, we all started to see this cloud, if you will. It was, it was faint, but noticeable enough. And we all popped off of the floor and we're like trying, we didn't know as children, we're just in it, like just doing this. I don't know. What do you do? Thank you, God. We love you, Jesus. Do something in your glory, you know? And it was so powerful. Now, as children do, and as I did at the time, I decided in my state of ecstaticism that I would try something a little different. And now, at the time, I was just playing with the Lord a little bit, and I, I had decided, this is going to be stretching for some of you, that I would give my friends what I called a glory inhaler, okay? <laughs> and so I would say, all right, we're going we're gonna to just breathe out all the negative, and we're going to breathe in the positive glory of God. Breathe out, and I'd put my hands to their mouth like an inhaler, and I'd go... <laughs> Now, I, I'm not wanting us to adopt this as a regular practice, <laughs> though I will not condemn you if you decide to do as such. And my, my friend's sister from Florida did that, fell to the floor, was down, got up a couple minutes later, and she had been completely healed of her asthma. I didn't even know she had asthma. Things happen in the glory, you know? Not only that, she went home to Florida and her six-year-old son, who also had asthma, she did the same thing to him and he got healed of his asthma. I myself, as a little baby boy, was healed of infant asthma when my pastor came and prayed for me when I was a couple days old and I was completely miraculously healed. Now, we're not making the glory inhaler a rule for asthma healing, are we? <laughs> but we have a God that loves our childlikeness. And we have a God that is totally okay to, to offend our religious boxes. And some of you are like, what church did I just walk into? They're talking about glory inhalers. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Be a little uncomfortable here today. That's great. That's good. Be stretched. Take it before the Lord. Okay. Good. And what I love about the Lord is that this is always an adventure. There's the song that is one of my all-time favorites. It's The More I Seek You. And it's like, the more that I seek you, the more I find you. And the more I find you, the more I love you. And what's the fruit of that? I want to sit at your feet. I want to drink from the cup in your hands. There, there's a sense of our discovery of what God is like, whether it be miraculous, whether, whether it be experiences in the glory, whether it be having time with the Lord at home, where we are seeking him. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. And so he's asking us, come, seek, and watch what I will do. Come as a child. You don't have to have all the right words. You don't have to have it all together. Just come as a child. Seek me and see what I will do. So many believers get stuck in these religious rhythms of prayer where prayer, prayer feels like a lifeless checklist. We treat God like a vending machine. What can I get from this kind of relationship? And, and though asking God for things and being dependent on him is 100% good, he wants our dependency. He also wants us to, to, to try to carve away and mold into his vessels those that, who are not just outsiders begging from a distance, begging to a cold, distant God, hoping that our flowery language might somehow convince him to move his mighty hand. He's, he's saying, I want you to move away from the begging. The begging should be over. Begging just means that you need a greater revelation of God as your father who is with you and for you and wants to freely move with his simple childlike prayers of his kids. When the truth of the gospel undo, undoes us, we realize that we have been placed into God's own family through the broken body of Jesus. He made a way through his broken body 
into the family of God. He has placed in, into us immediate favor and blessing. I love how Paul explains this to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. How many of you need a strengthening in your spirit right now, in your inner being? So that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, strength for what? To comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled with all of the fullness of God. Do you sense the dripping love of God that is realized? By the power of the Spirit, he wants to extend our understanding. He wants to, to mold us and shape us. You want to know the height, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. Come, come to me as Father. By the power of the Holy Spirit, let it strengthen your inner being to see that much more the love that I have for you. That much more the almost incomprehensible love for you. And even scripture says that we won't even understand fully into eternity the kind of love that God has for us. We are going to be learning it more and more day by day, year by year. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe he loves me that much. This is the radical love of the Father. And we can come to him with bended knee with worship bursting within us, overflowing in our hearts, because God is now our Father, and we have been made co-heirs with Christ. Jesus is not just a nice self-help kind of solution. This is not just about how can God, how can I get this tool in my tool, tool belt, come to church and get a little bit of self-help to improve my life. We come to him and we die with him but then we're made entirely new. We come up from the, from the grave with him into new life. He makes you his very dwelling place. You become the holy of holies as you know him. You are a living, active temple of the Lord. Did you know that you are a carrier of the glory of the Lord? And just as Thousands of years prior, when King David was moving the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and remember someone slipped, they, they were doing a good thing and tried to keep up the Ark where God's presence dwelt. But because of the power of God that, that no man was supposed to touch that except the priest carrying the poles, he was instantly struck dead because of the holiness of a good God. Now, shift into a new covenant, you and I are carriers of the presence of God. We are carriers of his presence. And as we move forward in our lives, rather than death being the result when people touch us, we go to those and bring the resurrection power of Jesus. They are struck with the power and goodness of God. You are called and meant to be a lightning rod of heaven. That is your true calling. What if we started aligning our thoughts, our beliefs, our faith to knowing that when I touch someone and pray for them, they will receive the power of the Lord because the holy of holies is surging through me in my life. We are completely new creations in Christ. At first, we think we want God to help us with all of our things, with all of our problems, with all our cares, our anxieties, our relationships, and he will and he does. But so many of us are riddled with anxiety, riddled with stress, because we still are stuck in a mindset that it's all about us. But the true way to get free, the true way to walk in freedom is to wake up in the morning and realize, thank you, God, that this life is all for you. Thank you, God, that, that I'm just a vessel that gets to be poured out. Thank you, God, that performance doesn't need to be a part of my life. 
Thank you, God, that people-pleasing doesn't need to be a part of my life. Thank you, God, that I don't have to stress about my exam. I don't have to stress about my paycheck. I don't have to stress about anything because this life is yours. I've been, I have been bought with the ultimate price. I've been bought with the ultimate price. And this life is now yours. And so I don't need to stress. I don't need to partner with anxiety because you've got me. That's liberty in your life. Living selfless, living as a servant king to those around you. I, this isn't part of my plan, but I was listening to Dan Moeller a couple of weeks ago, and, and he was talking about how kind of the same, along the same lines. He's like, it's selflessness. This isn't about me getting my rights met. It's not about my rights. He's like, I've been wiping the toilet seat for 30 years for my wife. 30 years. I just wipe it down every single time because I'm a servant to my wife. And he was, he was uh, once with another guest speaker at a hotel and uh, he was wiping the seat down then. And the guy's like, what are you doing? Why, why are you wiping the seat down? And he's like, it's just habit, man. You know, I just, I'm not living my life for myself. I want, I want to leave places better than I, than I came. This is the radical life of the believer. And though that's like such a simple demonstration, I have been thinking about that toilet seat a lot. <laughs> I really have. I'm waiting in line and I'm like getting impatient with the person in front of me and I'm like, toilet seat, toilet seat. This life's not about me. I've got all the time in the world. I'm here to serve this person that's taking forever in line. I let go. I let go. God's got, I'm, I'm going to be late for the next thing. That's okay. Why are we so stressed? Why are we so caught up? If we got back to the simplicity of this life, the chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. Pause in your place in line at Earth Cafe and just enjoy God for a moment. We get so flippin' busy. Which I'm going to just fast forward and end with this. Okay. Luke chapter 15. It's all about the prodigal. It's the lost chapter, all the lost things being restored. Luke 15 talks about the prodigal son. I, I, I've talked on this uh, a couple months ago, so I'm not going to go too deep. But basically, the prodigal son gave all his, his, his inheritance away to prostitutes, wild living. He was living with the pigs, right? This is, this is a, a story that is revealing the truth of the kingdom. So he goes off and lives horribly. And he decides, I'm just going to go home. Even if it means I'm one of my dad's servants, I'm just going to go home. He decides to go home. The father is looking for him actively. Just as God the father is looking for your life actively. He's looking for the moment that you are returning home. And he looks and he runs out, undignified, pulls up his robe, sprints to his son, embraces him. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't judge him in that moment. He smothers him with kisses. He puts a fatty ring on his finger, gives him fresh robes. It's his son. It doesn't matter what he's done. My son has come home. It doesn't matter what you have done in your life. Just come home. He just wants his son or his daughter here today. So he brings him in. He lavishes him and he throws a massive party. Now the other son, the other son is out in the field working. The older brother and this is, an, this is an example of religion. This is an example of pride. And the older brother who had been a good boy, he'd been a good boy, working the fields, toiling away, being obedient, doing all the things in his father's household. But he comes back and he's like, what's going on? There's a party. And he asks the servant, what's going on? Oh, your brother's returned home. And he goes to his father. And it says in Luke 15, 28, the son was angry. He refused to go into this party. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I, I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Some of you are like, I don't know where my goat is either, okay? <laughs> God has never given me a young goat. Well, he can relate to you. But when this, this son of yours... Do you realize that when parents are disciplining, right? It's like a, a, a wife with a husband's like, your son did this. It's like, is he not yours in the moment? I don't know. 
when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this is your brother. He was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And can you see it here? There's a lie that the son was believing that was actually keeping him from the favor and the blessing that the father wanted to give him that was in store for him. And in this quick dialogue, we see that that the son shows poor beliefs. One, I've served you. Does that feel religious or not? Spirit of religion, I've served you. I have never disobeyed your command. You know, you're taking your obedience and you're using it for your advantage. Number three, yet you never gave. Some of you are a little convicted right now. Uh, Maybe I've done that with the Lord a little bit. I've served you. Where's this thing? (laughs) The lie is that religious duty and performance should have won his father's favor to give him something. But the father's response tells us the truth. He was not withholding a thing. All that is mine is yours. It was religious, it was a a prideful belief system of the older brother that kept him from asking anything from his father, so he never received. And so what is the key for us today? How are we posturing ourselves? What belief systems do we have? Are we holding on to any belief that our religious duty and what we have done and are doing and how we're being obedient and how we're following all the, the things that we're supposed to be doing Will that somehow win God's affection? Will that somehow release his blessings? Or do we know that there is grace to be a humble child coming to him? And that is the key to seeing the fullness in our lives. He says, you have not because you ask not. He says, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. And God is desiring to lavish his love and grace upon your life. Even if you are a prodigal and you've been out doing your own thing and your own selfishness and the rhythms and the cycles, the days, the weeks, the years. And he says, just come to me. I'm looking, I'm waiting. Come to me. Once again, position yourself with humility and come as a grateful son. The father's love is not dependent on your disobedience, and his love is not dependent on your perfect work. He loves you simply because you are his son or his daughter. Nothing is, ne- nothing is ever going to change the affection of the Lord towards your life. There is no performance that you can do or not do that changes the way that God thinks about you. He loves you because that is who God is. It's intrinsically a part of being love itself, that he can't help but cascade over and over again his love poured out to you. Whether you've been working too much and you feel like that older son, being busy in the fields but haven't taken time to be with the father, you haven't taken the time to enjoy his lavished grace, or whether you've been the one that's been on a far off land living your own path, now is the time to come home. Now is the time to let him wrap his loving arms around you, to hear him call you his own, to let him drench you in affection, into safety, to speak purpose, to speak destiny to you, to call out who you were always meant to be. He just wants to be with his sons. And I want to end with this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, No other way. It's not by your attendance to church. It's not about how good you've been. It's not about being the the good older brother doing all the right things. You could have the most community service in all the land, but that's not what qualifies you. It's saved 
through faith alone in Jesus as your Lord. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. This is not a works kind of way of life. Why? So that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's again saying, you were created for good works. I have great plans. I have a destiny for you. It's time to align with what you were born to be. It's with the greatest humility that we simply get to receive his grace as sons and daughters through the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection power that brought us into new life. That's what brought us into new life. Let's go ahead and stand up. I wasn't actually going to plan to do this, but I, I can't help myself to, to take time this morning. That if, you, if you feel compelled to bring a fresh dedication of your life to the Lord, uh, maybe you've never, maybe you've never given your life to the Lord and, and you can feel that leaping, that fluttering within you. It says, did you know that you don't have to have it all figured out? Did you know that the Lord just requires a, a quick looking to him like the thief on the cross next to Jesus that saw the Lordship of Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. It is the simplicity of seeing by faith through the spirit that Jesus is Lord and saying, I just want you to be my God. When you make that decision, it says, then the veil is removed. It doesn't say the veil's removed. You've got it all figured out. It's been six months. Okay, now I'll give my life to the Lord. It says the veil is removed when we see Jesus and we see clearly, we see plainly as it is. So some of you need the veil removed today. You need the veil removed from your heart and your spiritual eyes. And some of you are like the prodigal and you've, you've known the father and you've been living your own life and you, you need to come back home. You need to come back home. And some of you might feel convicted like the elder brother and you're like, yep, that's me for sure. I feel it. So I'm just gonna open the altar here. And if that's you, I just wanna say on the count of three, come forward. So Jesus, we posture ourselves. Is that us, God? Are you calling me? Are you pulling me forward? Are you pulling me forward? Are you pulling me forward? On the count of three, you can come forward. One, two, three, if that's you. And I would love for the ministry team and some of our leaders to pray over these individuals. Keep on coming forward if that's you. Feel free to just kneel down before the Lord. I'll give it some more time. If you just feel it's you, feel free to come forward. Yeah, it's not too late if you wanna still come forward. So we're just gonna ask together, I'm gonna have you all repeat after me, a fresh commitment of Jesus as Lord of our lives. If you agree with me, you can speak it out loud. And we're gonna just ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill and transform, transform lives and make them new. Sound good? All right, let's pray together. You can repeat after me, Jesus. I confess that I have sinned and I have partnered with darkness. And today I lay that down at the cross and I receive the light of Jesus. He is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so we come to you, Jesus and I make you Lord of my life. Be my God. 
Save me. Free me. Liberate me. And make me new. Holy Spirit, come fill my life. Flood me with the love of heaven. Flood me with the power of heaven. And Father, I receive your adoption to be your son or daughter, to be yours, to follow you all of my days. Illuminate my heart that I can see fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.